What's going on, Liberty 412 family? This is M.A., and we are in week two of my story. And uh, to just do a little bit of recap of last week, we, uh, we talked about the first part of writing our own story, our own personal story, and why it's so important. But that first step is who we were before Christ. It is important for us to tell that because people need to know where we were, and that gives us a, a standard or a platform in which to show all the mighty things Christ did in our life. And so one thing we have to acknowledge in our story, in our testimony, is we must acknowledge that no amount of good is good enough to receive salvation. There's nothing that we can do here on earth through our actions or our thoughts that will allow us to attain salvation. Mark 10, 17, Jesus is saying to to the rich young ruler, when the rich young ruler says, hey, good teacher, Jesus responds to him and says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, Paul says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And this is a key point of the gospel, is for us to acknowledge and for us to understand that we aren't good enough on our own. We had to have Jesus come and live a perfect life and die on the cross and raise again from the dead in order for us to have salvation. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And so step one in week one was all of us talking about who we were before Jesus and our acknowledgement of Man, we aren't good enough. There's nothing in this life we can do to attain salvation. We need Jesus. And so that was week one. So now uh, we're going to go into week two. But last week we also looked at the early life of the Apostle Paul before God changed his life when he was called Saul. And we read in chapter in Acts chapter 7, 8, 9 about how Saul was hunting down followers of Jesus Christ and taking them to prison and killing them. Now this week, we're going to read about when Jesus finally got a hold of Saul's life and changed it forever. So we're going to dive right into Acts chapter 9. Uh, We kind of ended in the first few verses of Acts chapter 9 last week. We're going to reread those, just verses 1 and 2, and then continue on. But it's going to be Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Now this is going to be a lot of scripture, but just listen. It reads like a story, and so it says this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So led by the hand, led by the hand, he was brought brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was there without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, 
and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, have I heard have I heard many, many about this man, how much evil he has done to our saints in Jerusalem? And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, taking food, he was strengthened. And then it goes on in verse, the rest of 19 says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and verse 20 says, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. So here's, here's the thing that really captures me in this is Saul was on his way to Damascus to find and arrest and potentially kill any Christians he could find. And Jesus shows up in a mighty way. He shows up and the light shone down around Saul and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul. Now one thing we need to know in the story here, what has already gone on is Jesus has already died. He has already been buried, he's already been resurrected, and he has already ascended into heaven. So Jesus is no longer on earth. So this is Jesus coming coming from the heavens, coming, speaking directly to Saul from the heavens. It was not a physical apparition of Jesus. It was literally him speaking from the heavens. And in verse 3 and 5, what I find interesting is this. It says that he says, he says, and he said, who are you? Well, he said, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The first thing that comes to mind that is amazing to me in this is he called Saul by name. So the next step of our story is acknowledging that, yes, first of all, we are not good enough to attain salvation. But through the life of Jesus, when he calls us by name, we can be saved. He is, we serve a personal God. And what I find amazing is, is in Isaiah 43, 1, which I will quote this scripture over and over and over because this is one of my all-time favorite chapters. And it just fills me up because it says this, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So we see in the conversion of Saul here, Jesus is calling Saul by name. He's not just calling out to the crowd. He's not calling to everybody that was there. He is calling specifically to Saul. See, the call of salvation is a personal call. It is a call from God directly to you and to your soul. It is not a broadcast net. He calls everybody individually because we are his and he knows us by name. The next thing that came to mind, the next scripture when I read this was Psalms 139, 13 through 14. And it says, for I formed my inward, I, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. See, the awesome part is we get to tell people through our story is that 
We don't just serve a distant God. We don't serve a God that sits back. He created us, but then he sits back and doesn't interact with us. No, he knows us by name. Isaiah or Psalms 139 says he knitted us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made and our soul knows it well. The second thing that I want to point out in Saul's conversion here is that we that he was chosen for a purpose and we are too we are chosen and created for a purpose so in verse 15 it says this but the lord said to him said to ananias go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the gentiles and the kings and the children of israel so here's the deal we are created for a purpose and we have a purpose in life and so if you've ever gone through life saying what is my purpose Well, plain and simply, we are created to bring glory back to the name of Jesus. We are created to carry the name of the Most High God onward and go go therefore and make disciples as Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28. Again, Isaiah 43, another, I'm telling you, my favorite chapter in the Bible. It says this in Isaiah 43, 7, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, who I formed and made. See, we are created solely for the glory of God, and that is our life's charge is to, through our words, through our actions, through our thoughts, through how we interact with people and how we interact in this world, it is all about bringing glory back to God. So Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, here's the thing. God is a personal God. He created you with intentionality, and He created you with purpose, and He calls you by name. Now, I want to make this very clear because a lot of people will take that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, and that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, I want, I want to make this very clear, okay? God did not die on the cross so that we could have a happy life here. His ultimate plan and provision for us is to live eternally with Him. But yet, we're still going to have hardships here on this earth. He doesn't even say that we're not going to have hardships. You know, in verse 16 of Acts chapter 9, when Ananias says, I've heard about this guy, like, I don't want to go to him because I've heard that he's murdering Christians, he's persecuting Christians. And, and, And Jesus says, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine. And then in verse 16, it says, For I will show him how much he su- must suffer for the name, for the sake of my name. So here's the truth. Following Jesus is not easy, and it is often met with challenges and hardships. And in John 16, Jesus himself said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So when we're telling people our stories, when we're telling them that, first and foremost, we're not good enough to have salvation and have eternal life, and then the second step is to tell them that, but because of Jesus' death on the cross, we can receive salvation, and this is the moment in my life when I realized that and when I came to that that realization and the moment that Jesus came into my soul and changed my heart forever, What we have to be careful of is not to tell people that if they give their life to Christ, it's going to be all rainbows and unicorns. Because Jesus' words himself said that you will have tribulation in this life. But do not worry because I have overcome the world. So don't buy the lie that following Jesus will make this life easier and you will have a happy, stress-free life with no hardships or heartache. 
this is a false gospel. We need to be very careful not to preach a false gospel to people. We need to tell them the truth, that they are destined to hell without the love of Jesus in their life, without the, the surrendering of their life to Jesus. They deserve hell, death, and the grave. But because of Jesus' death, they can receive this salvation. And in Jesus' own words, he didn't die so that we have a happy life here. We will have hardships here. What he is saying is take heart because his ultimate provision for us, his ultimate plan for us, as Jeremiah 29, 11 would say, is to live in eternity with him, not have something shiny and good and, and a carefree life here on earth. So we need to make sure that when we present our story, we are being very abundantly clear and not deceiving people. Now, giving our lives to Christ is the greatest thing we can ever do, and it will bring joy to our soul. But that does not mean that we will have an easy life here on earth. And that's one thing we need to make abundantly clear, that when we give our life to Christ, it is the greatest thing we ever did, but it does come with challenges. So as we begin to formulate their story, there is a defining moment in which each of us realized we needed Jesus. So when is that moment for you? Like Paul on the road to Damascus, maybe it was not a, a shined light and a loud voice coming down, but there was a moment in your life in which you realized, hey, I, I can't do this on my own. I don't got this. I need Jesus. And so when was that moment? Maybe it happened in a moment that is clear or over a period or a season of life. But the real question is, what point did you finally let go and let God take over as Lord and Savior of your life? Where, where were you when this all happened? Were there others, others with you? Were you all alone? Was it an event at church or was it just sitting at home or in a group setting or around a campfire? You know, you get the picture, figure out where in your life you came to the realization that you needed Jesus and you let go and you let God take over as Lord and Savior in your life. Now, here's another thing. If, if this isn't clear to you, like if, if this isn't like you can't get a defining moment, my, my prayer for you is that you will sit with God and you will pray and you will ask God to reveal to you the moment in which this happened. But in reality, if it's not clear and you've asked God to reveal it to you, the next step, this may be your next step, is just surrendering your life to Christ. Maybe you've never truly done this step. And if you don't have a clear understanding of what, of when you surrender to Jesus, you know, maybe this is the next step that you need to have. It's today the day that you realize that you are not living worthy of living in eternity with God in heaven. No amount of good you've done or will do can get you there. The only way is through believing that Jesus' death on the cross paid for your sins and you are willing to surrender your life to Him and daily seek to follow and glorify God in your words, your actions, your thoughts, and your life. So as we go through this week, parents, help your, help your students wrestle through this. Help them begin formulating their story. Ask them questions of, hey, when you gave your life to the Lord, like what, when, how, and why did this happen? And begin to allow them to formulate this on paper. Parents, maybe you've never written out your testimony. This is a great opportunity you walk, for you to walk side by side with your student and formulate your own story yourself. Just like last week, I told you, hey, share your story with your student. There's nothing better 
then your kid hearing the truth of how God interacted in your life in a supernatural way, and it brings life to their story as well because they know where they've come from. So go out this week. Let's, let's look at step two of when, how, what, and why we gave our lives to Christ and begin formulating our story. Next week, we're going to dive into who we are now that Jesus has changed us and the life that we are going to continue to live from there. But y'all have a great week. Stay humble, stay focused, and keep pressing forward.